0: you guys want to turn your bibles to first john chapter three when i think about confidence in our relationship with god just recently we were at a pool and uh, caroline our four-year-old um, had the opportunity to swim and it was uh she had a um, little swimmy thing that you you put on had sleeves and i mean she was she was sufficiently buoyant, okay. She had a, a buoyancy device that was more than sufficient to, to keep her up. So this is what's happening. She's got this buoyancy device, number one. Number two, I don't know how tall Caroline is, but we'll say four feet, three and a half, I don't know. But she's in a two and a half, three foot, the, the pool was shallow. Okay. So, you know, for her to jump in, she was going to be up to about here in the water. So, so number one, she is abundantly buoyant. Number two, um, she can easily stand in the water. And uh, in, and so I'm standing there trying to coax her into jumping in. Now, she's already walked into the pool and stood in there, but jumping in is a completely different thing. Because, you know, now when you jump into the water, it could be that now what you could walk on, now it might be like... 10 feet deep, possibly now, I don't know, uh, maybe it's, it's changed, and so she was afraid to jump in, and so I tried to talk her into it, you know, you can do it, Caroline, it's really fine, it's that you got something keeping you up, you're not gonna get hurt, but the water splashing in your face, that whole experience is, you know, it's like waterboarding, and, and so she just thought that that's what's gonna happen, she was really upset about it, and I just kept trying to talk her, you can do it, it's alright, you can do it, meanwhile, that's, she's the youngest, okay, then we get to Pate, when he was, um, little, I mean, I would take Pate, and I would pick him up and I would hold him on my hand. Um, he was like, I don't know, six months old or something. And and I could balance him around like this. And then I, and I'm holding his feet. And then when he started to lose balance, I would put my hand and I would catch him. And I, it was a fun trick. We really had a great time with that. I would always get in trouble um, by Pate's mother. She didn't appreciate that. and um, And he only hit his head a few times. And so that explains some stuff. But no, no, he never, never dropped him. Uh, but I and I, but in the pool situation, you know, same thing. Pate was just he was crazy and um and trusting, um often. So he would just jump and and swim. So there was one day swimming to me. We're in a pool. It's great. And there was some friends of ours that were at the same pool years ago back in Mississippi. And uh, they had a son named George. And George was was swimming. You know, trying to help him. Well, at one point. George jumps in and starts swimming to me, so I turn around and I'm, I'm helping George. And Pate, who's probably, I don't know, three years old, maybe, um, he decides to jump in and swim to me too, but my back is facing him. Okay, and so he's not really a good swimmer at this point, so I'm helping George and then Janet sees Pate just, you know, going under. <laughs> and, and so she, Dave, Dave, Dave! I turn around and, oh, you know, reach out and grab him and pull him up and man, he was mad. His eyes were big. You were gonna let me sink! You were going to you were going to save George and you weren't going to save me. And then he got on to Janet, too. And you also were letting dad, do, you know, it's like we all were in trouble and, and we had to tell him his little three three year old. You know, I'm the charge of the universe uh, mindset, you know, that that you, it's best when you swim to your father that he knows you're coming. OK, and so it would have been better if you would have obeyed and stayed on the side of the pool rather than just trying to swim out when you weren't there. You know, the whole confidence in uh, trusting other people is a difficult thing for all of us, is it not? It's hard for us to trust other people. Why is it so difficult? Because there's this problem of sin that has entered into the world in our relationships. And you go back all the way to Adam and Eve, and they had a perfect, beautiful relationship with the Heavenly Father, with the Creator God. Perfect relationship, perfect confidence in the in the voice, the presence um, enjoying a relationship with the Father. And they came to a point where they were challenged to trust the Father or trust what they perceived to be something that might be a little better than what they presently had, which was everything. And they chose wrongly. And sinner enters into the world and they find themselves in shame and in nakedness. And what do they do? Well, instead of running back to the only relationship that they could really trust, where they had confidence, where things were great, instead of going back to restore that, they run and hide. They run and hide and they they flee from God. Well, God graciously pursues them and comes out, why Why, why are you hiding? He knows what's happened. Why are you hiding? What's the problem? And he begins to provide a way for them to have covering uh, and to be able to approach him again uh, and have their sins dealt with so that they could have a right relationship with him this passage of scripture is really interesting and in first john is just a fascinating book i mean throughout the book it just says again and again and again i've written these things so you might know that you have a relationship with god i've written these things so you would know that you know that you know and be confident in your relationship with god and that a lot of what we talked about in the last chapter chapter two and chapter three is really the focus is a lot in look if you say that you know christ yet you don't love your brother yet there's you don't love other people yet there's um, there 's sin in your life that's unrepentant that is just consistent you 're not progressing and growing in your relationship with christ but there 's there 's areas of your life that there 's just no victory you 've just given up and you don 't even care and you just think that I, that God loves me despite the fact that i 've got all this stuff I can just stay in in my sin and it really doesn 't matter because you know at least at least you know god he sees my intention in my heart he really loves me just the way I am the stuff i do doesn 't really matter, and so he he 's really calling. People to to repent of of a, a low view of God. Repent of the assumption that just because you grew up in the Bible belt or you go to church or you're a halfway religious person, that you're fine with God. No, no. Just because you profess to know something, but yet there's no evidence and fruit in your life, that's a problem. It's a problem. But what happens when we're right with God? What happens when we really do know God? And yet we start to struggle with our confidence. See, he wrote these things, these verses, this letter was written to confront some false teaching uh, that was going on in in some churches in that day. That's very similar to things being taught today. But secondly, to give them full assurance. I've written these things so that you would know that you're children of God. I've written these things to give you confidence, not to, to shake your confidence. And so that's where we find ourselves in chapter 3, verse 19. It says this. By this, we shall know that we are in the truth. By this, we shall know that we are in. I'm sure that we are of the truth. We are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us. God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. When our heart's not condemning us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do not and do what pleases him. We do what pleases him. And this is his commandment: that we believe in the name of the Son of his Son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us whoever keeps his commandments abide in him and he in them abides in him and he in them. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. And so how can we have confidence in a relationship? With God, is it really possible what he says again in, in verse 19? By this, we shall know that we are in the truth. So where does our confidence lie Is Really, the first question in this passage, where does my confidence lie? What is it you rely on to give you confidence in your relationship with God? Is it just, well, you know, I walked down an aisle. Well, I signed a card. Well, I was baptized. Well, I did this. Well, I did. What, what is it you gain confidence for? Or is it the sense of, I feel Good in my relationship with God, I feel like God's presence is there. I feel like is it is it feelings based? Is it event based? What what are the places that you put your confidence to give you assurance in your relationship with God? That's the question He's raising. By this we shall know that we are in the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. Literally, it's saying that we are from the truth, or that the 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 origin, the beginning of our confidence or belief is is in. The truth, and reassure our hearts before Him. Uh, it's it's as if you're drawing power, drawing encourage, drawing strength, drawing confidence from the truth, and then we can reassure, we can set at rest, we can persuade our hearts, persuade our hearts before Him. And what does that mean? Our our hearts, talking about our our conscience um, awareness of of our sense of. A right relationship with God. And so a couple questions are raised. Where does our confidence lie? And then verse 20. Do I have a condemning heart? It's another question that he raises. Regarding our confidence. Do I have a condemning heart? Or uh, one might say an accusing conscience. Does my heart condemn me? For whenever our heart condemns us. Is my heart condemning me? Does my heart condemn? cause me to doubt unnecessarily to condemn us means to know something against someone else. If if I'm condemning somebody else, I have some information and I really know what's going on there. And so because I have this information, I can condemn them because I know the real situation and the problem with our hearts is our hearts think that they uh, they know a little more about us than um, than God might know. And so our hearts tend to over condemn us. On the flip side, often our hearts tend to justify us. Well, I'm really not that bad. Well, it really wasn't my fault. Well, it really wasn't this. Well, it was the way I was raised. Well, it was the way I was born. It was the way God made me. It was the way... I da, 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 da. And we come up with all these excuses. And so on one side, the pendulum swings and we're making excuses and our hearts are deceiving us as to think that we are better than we really are. But then the flip side is sometimes we can be right with God and our hearts are deceiving us into saying that we are really still messed up really bad and no hope. And even though God has changed and transformed and is transforming us, we lack confidence in that. And so we walk, not in victory, but in defeat. And, and that's where John is trying to to go. He's saying, yes, some of you have lied to yourselves and said you're better than you really are and you really need to repent and believe in the gospel. But some of you have believed in the gospel and Jesus has changed you and you've believed in the truth, but now you're doubting the truth and it's causing incredible bondage and defeat in your life because you're not resting in the truth of what God has revealed? Do you have a heart that condemns you wrongly? You know, our our hearts have the real dirt on us. I mean, our hearts really know. I mean, the more we start thinking about, you know, going a little deeper, we realize, particularly as you grow in Christ, how messed up you are. I mean, the thought that growing as a Christian is, it's going to make you prideful because you're so righteous and godly is hilarious. It just doesn't happen. I've never met a, a believer that was maturing and growing that I really believed that they were maturing and growing where where they were like, you know, I'm really... I'm just amazed at how godly I am now. I mean, I've, I've been a Christian for 20 years and I, I never thought I would be as godly as I am. I mean, I'm just so amazingly godly. It blows my mind. I never thought I could be so righteous. I mean, I'm just... I really could. It just doesn't happen. As you grow in Christ, your awareness of your need for Jesus grows, and the stuff in your life, the sin in your life, might not be as big and obvious, but the subtleties of moment, of, of motives and of pride and of selfishness and, and intentions, man, they, they get really bad. And so we start to really become aware of the sin behind the sin. I mean, there's the sins, there's the stuff we used to, and all that bad stuff. And then we, but we, we clean that up. God cleaned that up in our lives. And now we're starting to see, man, there's some deeper stuff below that, that is really, um, even worse. I, I like to explain this to our kids sometimes by talking about, you know, if you're swimming at the beach, I don't know if you guys have, many of you made beach trips yet this summer. You're at the beach, and if you see a fin out of the water, okay, it's fins, Never, there's never been a recorded time that I'm aware of that a fin has ever hurt somebody. OK, it's not the fin that's out of the water. That's the problem. It's the teeth that are under the water that are the problem. That's the part you're concerned about, right? It's, it's the front end of the shark, not the tip of the, t- the the fin of the shark. That's the problem. And so so it is with sin. What we always focus on is the fin. And it's really what's below the surface. That's really the concern. And that's why Jesus said Okay, you haven't murdered. You haven't committed adultery. Wonderful. That's great for you. Happy claps there. Uh, but have you have you lusted? Have you had anger? Yeah, that's the teeth. That's the problem. Yeah, you, you, you're not as good as you think you are. And so the, the awareness of, man, I, I really am messed up. But do we have a condemning heart? So the next thought there in verse 20 is, not only do we have a condemning heart, but we have to ask the question, well, who has the loudest voice and the most accurate the most accurate knowledge of you. Who has the loudest voice in your heart, in your conscience? Is it God or is it your, is it your nature that is condemning you? Or for that matter, uh, Revelation talks about the accuser of the brethren, the, the devil who loves to accuse us in our sin that God has freed us from. What voice are we listening to? Just like, my kids listening to their dad. Just trust your father. You can jump off the side of the pool. You can swim to me. I'm there for. You. I will get you. But our tendency is to not listen to the voice of the one we can trust and we know will will save us, will protect us. But it's to begin to listen to the inner voices. No, no. I will drown in two feet of water even though I'm three feet tall with a significant flotation device. There's no way that I will survive this jump. That's what we listen to, and, and yet our father's going. No, no. no you you can just. You can, you're fine. I mean, it would be incredibly difficult for you to hurt yourself um, without me grabbing you, but much less uh, you. I'm right there. If anything goes wrong, I will snatch you up. You will be safe. And we just don't believe that. Whose voice is louder? It says, "Whenever your heart condemns us." Interesting. God is greater. God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. In fact. Interestingly, the word for knows there is is kind of gives the connotation of he's continuously knows everything. It's not like he had an accurate picture, but he's not really been keeping up with you. So he might not know what's been going on lately. I mean, he knew when you when you followed Jesus, what you were like saved you from that. But lately you haven't been doing as well. And so he knows what's going on. No, no. He, he says he continuously has an accurate perspective on who you are. So our knowledge is always limited. Understand that your knowledge, my knowledge is always limited. It is never omniscient. You're never all knowing. Even the teenagers in the room, you guys aren't all knowing. I know that's difficult to understand, but you guys aren't. And so we are not omniscient. God sees secret motives. He sees our resolution of I'm going to do better. I'm going to try harder. He sees our motives. He sees our he sees our intentions that we really do want to honor God. I mean, he changes it, but we feel defeated. God can often be more merciful toward us than our own hearts can be. We can be unjust in our denial of wrong and sin, or unjust in our refusal to acknowledge God's justice. God is both just and the justifier. See, we are unjust in that the fact that sometimes we just say well it really wasn't that big of a deal we're also unjust in sometimes when god has abundantly sufficiently provided the covering for our sin he's provided as first john chapter 2 verse 1 and 2 beautifully says he's provided the propitiation jesus is the propitiation for our sins meaning that he has absorbed god's wrath for our sin justly has been absorbed In Jesus, God has poured out his full wrath in Christ. And so that little gnawing sin in your life that you refuse to let go, that little thing that you just keep feeling like I just I messed up again and there's no way God can forgive me with God has abundantly, sufficiently, significantly poured his wrath out upon Christ and it has been absorbed in Christ. Who are you to tell God or to tell Jesus that his death was insufficient to deal with your sin? What an arrogant statement! What a offensive statement to Jesus to say. You know what? All that suffering and stuff you did on the cross. I mean, it was big, but it wasn't big enough. I mean, I know you suffered, but you didn't suffer enough for my junk. I mean, the stuff I've done, <laughs> you, get, you might have to go through it again or a couple more times. Or should have should have been, you know, a couple days on the cross because one day, you know, part of a day that really wasn't enough. You really didn't do enough. Jesus said on the cross, "It is." Finished. And it is done. God became not just just, but he became the justifier by by coming, putting on flesh, dying on the cross in our place, so that he could forgive our sins rightly, justly, by justifying us through his own death, the death of his son on the cross. Vindicated by the resurrection, Jesus is alive. And now he's at the right hand of the Father, according to First John chapter 2. And he is our advocate. He's our lawyer. He is our helper. He's our comforter who stands before the father in the face of the accuser saying, you know, they're really bad. They really are bad. They're really, they've done a lot. No, no. The the helper, the comforter, our lawyer stands before the righteous judge. The righteous advocate stands before the the father in the face of the accuser and says, no, I have paid for their debt. I have been, yes, the just and the justifier. And so... They are forgiven. Whereas Jeremiah 17, 9 says, man, the heart is deceitful and desperately sick and wicked. Who can trust it? Again, we, we often refer to that verse as saying that, man, we think we're a lot better than we really are. But it's also true, as John is pointing out, that often we think we're worse than we really are. Is it you are far worse than you can even begin to comprehend this morning? But, man, you are more loved. And, Christ's death on the cross is so sufficient to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness beyond what you could even comprehend. God's love poured out through Christ is, is so sufficient. It is silly for us to condemn ourselves, to allow our hearts to condemn ourselves when we know that we have trusted in Jesus just because we don't feel forgiven. It doesn't matter what you feel. What matters is the truth, which is the point. Here's the thought. John Stott put it this way. It's the mind's knowledge by which the heart's doubts might be silenced. It's a beautiful statement. It's the mind's knowledge of the truth. That, that's how our heart's doubts can be silenced. You say, I have a condemning heart. I know that I know Christ, but I have a condemning heart and I I, I struggle with living in defeat. How do I get past that? Well, you get past it with the truth, knowledge of the truth. That's what frees you, knowledge of the truth. Your faith and trust in what is true, not what you feel is true, not what you think is true, not what you perceive to be, but what is true. And you recalibrate and adjust everything based upon your knowledge of the truth. What's the result of that? What's the fruit of that? What happens when we do that? Well, uh, you have several things happen. You, you begin to have confidence in God's presence in your life. If you if you are resting in the truth beloved our heart does not condemn us we have if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence before God in other words we have openness we have assurance we have a right relationship with God we can enjoy his presence in our lives we have confidence in our pre, in the presence of God in our lives the second thing he mentions is that we also verse 22 whatever we ask we receive from him because we Keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So we have confidence in our prayer. How can I have confidence in my prayer? Well, you just if you're right with Jesus and you're you're in the word, your relationship is right. You're you're you you, you there's no unrepentant sin or you're not aware of anything that you've not yielded to Christ in your life, then you can have confidence in. In your the presence of God in your life, you can have confidence in your prayers, knowing that if you ask anything, that's you know to be according to God's word, that He's going to answer. If He says that if we ask anything according to His word, He's going to bless us. I mean, if we if you're if you're earthly fathers, you know, if you can trust them to catch you in the pool, like my kids trust me even though sometimes my back's turned, how much better is the Heavenly Father who never turns his back? (laughs) Who can catch the kids on both sides at the same time. He can watch and keep us all up even though all of us are swimming to him for salvation from every direction on the planet at the same time. God is abundantly able to save just like he saved Peter and pulled him out of the water as he was sinking. God can take care of all of us at the same time. It's not a problem. So whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him And again he's not saying this isn't like we when we ask we receive because because it's contingent on the fact that we're obedient and we cling to we obey his commandments. so because i'm obeying perfectly i now can ask anything and i get it that's not what he's saying he's saying that we're right with god the fruit of that is our obedience and the fact that we love and enjoy his commandments like jesus Right with his father said it delights me. I I really enjoy obeying the father. I mean I I delight to do the will of the father. And we when we're right with God we're delighting to keep his command. We, why would I not want to obey him? And I love obeying the father. I love doing what the father wants me to do. I, I enjoy it. It's I don't know. It's just neat. It's fun. I like it. And because that we're enjoying that as a fruit of authentic salvation, now we know. If we ask anything, he hears us. He's going to come through. He, how do I know that? Because the evidence is in the fact that I'm obeying him. I'm walking with him. And that is, the, is, is evidencing a right relationship with him. And so because I'm right with him and I'm growing and, and Jesus is, is maturing me, man, the, the fruit of that is obedience and the fruit of that is confidence in prayer. Confidence in God's presence, confidence in prayer. And then thirdly, confidence in the progress, our progress and maturity in the faith. The progress of our maturing is the word there. Confidence in the progress of our maturing. He says in verse 22, because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases. Again, the reason we're keeping them, obeying them is because we're maturing. We're growing. We're making progress. You know, newsflash here, you're not... You're never going to reach a point of perfection in your life, this side of heaven. It's just not going to happen. There's not going to be a day you're going to wake up and uh, it's like, man, I, I just today was a great day. I lived the day and I didn't sin at all. And it was I was perfect and uh, it was amazing. And so I'm just so thankful for my perfection today and that God has granted that to me. And, I'm a, you know, you, you might go through a day not aware of any sin in your life. You might go through a day not aware of making any mistakes or whatever, but, and to, and to, your knowledge, you're completely right. But there's, again, there's some, there's some hidden motives and different things there and selfishness and pride and other stuff that has probably exposed itself that you just didn't see because nobody can see their own face, right? And, and so there's some stuff that you probably didn't even see in the way you responded to other people or gave somebody that look or listened to something you shouldn't listen or watched something you shouldn't watch or whatever. And, and so there's, just because God hasn't exposed all the junk in our life at any given time does not mean that we're perfect and we've arrived. But there should be progress in our faith in Christ. We should be maturing. And that's why He says you can't sin and be a Christian. And He's not saying you can't make a sin or have a sinful act. He's saying you can't continuously, habitually sin, not be convicted about it, not be concerned about it, not see progress in victory. Slow as it may be from those things and say you're a follower of Christ. If Jesus is in your life, if Jesus is saved, is if his Holy Spirit is indwelling you, you cannot possibly continue in sin without conviction of that sin and slow as it may be growth and maturity in Christ. And because we are uh, our, our hearts are not condemning us because of our trust in the truth, we have confidence in our God's presence in our life. We have confidence in prayer. And we have confidence in our progress, in our maturing. In fact, uh, Warren Wearsby said it this way beautifully. We, When our delight is in the love of God, our desires will be in the will of God. When our delight is in the love of God, then our desires will be in the will of God. And so the first question I asked at the beginning, and this it all comes back around to this first question, is where does my confidence lie? Where does my confidence lie? And and here's the simple answer. And this is what Warren Wiersbe is is alluding to, that faith in Jesus working through love. My confidence lies in in faith in Jesus working through love. He says this in verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. This is what He's commanded us to do. Believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. What does it mean to believe in His name? Well, it means to have faith in Jesus. To believe is to have faith. We're putting our confidence, putting our faith in Jesus. Caleb and Katie uh, Fredell are in Ecuador right now. Jared and Elizabeth Fly, the missionaries that are um, serving there, they have a church they plan in this little village um, outside of one of the cities that they're close to. And I remember about this time last year, we were there uh, with a mission team and had the opportunity to to come beside them and help them actually get this church started. Caleb's preaching this morning. That's why we need to pray, because he's probably pretty nervous right now. Uh, so I want to pray for him uh, at the end of our service. And But I remember talking to a... A lady across the rice paddies uh, from where their house is. You can kind of see across the way. And we're talking behind their home. And they had a little hammock there. And we're explaining faith in Jesus. And talk to her about the fact that, you know, when you are leaning, when you're sitting on a stool, okay? And this is the way a lot of us do faith in Jesus. I mean, it's like, yes, I am resting in Christ. We're really not resting in Christ. I mean, if somebody pulls the stool, I mean, we can just shift our weight really quick. and we So we we have an escape plan if the Jesus thing doesn't work out, you know, I'm ready to, I'm ready to bolt. And that's kind of the way we do it. Right. And so we're not fully relying when we're putting our faith in Jesus, we're in the hammock. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat in a hammock, but there's no quick way to get out of a hammock. Right. When you're in there, I mean, you're, you're completely trusted in the trees or whatever it is that's holding you up. Right. You are stuck there in the are ha- There's no quick way. And when we're talking about faith in Christ, that means we're all in. I mean, we're wrapped up in that thing. There is no way, if if something breaks, we're going down. Because there is no hope apart from uh, this thing holding us up. And when he talks about having faith in Jesus, believing in Jesus, by this, this is his commandment. That we believe. What God has commanded you is not to obey, it's to believe. To believe in what? In the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The reality, the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And love one another just as He has commanded. So His commandment is that we believe. Not that we do, but we believe. And through belief, we're going to love. And whoever keeps His commandments abides in Him and He in them. And by this we know that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given. So He's also given us His Spirit as confirmation of us knowing Christ. When i to read a couple of verses that I think will help you understand this more deeply. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is talking to one of the Pharisees, and they say, what's the greatest commandment, or actually one of the Sadducees, um, and uh, they're questioning Jesus and, and thinking that this is a way to trip him up, and Jesus says to them, this is the great and first commandment, and he tells them, it is that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all of your mind, and it's a reference to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, the Shema. The greatest commandment is you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all of your mind. And then Jesus doesn't stop there. And he says there is uh, this is the great and first commandment. But there's a second one that's like it. That's also uh, important. You shall love your neighbor. As yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. You also need to love your neighbor as yourself, because this is where the law and the prophets depend. And then in Romans chapter 13, verses eight through nine uh, through, uh, through 10, it says this. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the love. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in the word, "You shall love your neighbor as yourself." That's, that's really the issue. Do you love your neighbor? Because if you love your neighbor, you're not going to do all these other things. And so, let's just simplify it and just say, just love your neighbor. And if you're loving your neighbor, then you're obeying six out of the ten, the uh, six out of the ten commandments. So, do you love? Your neighbor. Then he goes on and says, You shall love your neighbors yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. The greatest evidence of an authentic, legitimate relationship with Christ is is inside you is there a different love towards people that did not exist before Jesus? I mean, do you love people differently? I didn't say, do you love people perfectly? That's, we don't expect that. But do you love people differently? Do you, are you aware of the fact that you have a compassion? You have a sensitivity. You have a willingness. You have a desire to love people that are difficult to love. He said, well, God, surely God just wants me to love people that are lovable. No, he wants you to love people in the same way that he had to love people. He had to love people that were his enemies, that that spit in his face, that tore out his beard, that put thorns on his head and beat him all the way to the cross, crucified him. And he's on the cross going, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. How could he say that? Well, he had a perfect love. That's how he could say that. He didn't look at their actions and what they were doing to him. He looked at the brokenness and the disconnect between them and God, how their relationship had been severed and they weren't right with God and they could never do enough to ever be in a right relationship with God. And so all they could rely upon, their only hope would be that God would forgive them and the only one who could provide that forgiveness was Jesus. And so he utters the words, Father, forgive them. It's love. Can you forgive people who hurt you? Can you forgive people who wound you? Can you forgive people who don't deserve to be forgiven? That's the evidence of supernatural change. That's the evidence of the fact that Jesus has come into your life. That's the evidence. That's the thing that gives us the confidence that we have a right relationship with God is that our faith is in Jesus. And that is evidenced by a love that is clearly supernatural and did not come from inside me. Nothing in me produces that kind of love. It's impossible for that to happen apart from the intervention of God. And that gives me a beautiful confidence. And then Galatians chapter five, verse six, is it sums it up beautifully. This is what it says. Galatians chapter five, verse six. But for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In other words, what he's saying is. Your superficial Attempts to look spiritual, not look spiritual. Do certain things to make yourself spiritual. Do certain things not to make... Your superficial efforts to make yourself look like you're better than you really... are. They're not going to win you any points in Christ. That's irrelevant. It doesn't help you. So what is it? What is it that helps us in Christ? What is the evidence in Christ? What is it that gives us confidence in Christ? What would Paul say in Galatians chapter 5? What is it that he's going to say here? What, what do you think? Well, here's what he says. It's only, it is only one thing. Two parts, one thing. What? It's only faith. It's just faith. Faith in Christ, faith in Jesus. That's getting in the hammock. It's completely trusted in Christ. That's the only thing that is going to count for anything is faith in In Jesus. But he doesn't stop there. Because it's one thing but two parts. It's only faith. Working. Through. What do you think he says? Anybody want to guess? Love. (laughs) It's only faith. Working. Through. Love. I love. The way he says that. He doesn't say. It's only Faith. Evidenced by perfect love. Does it say it's only faith and perfect love? He just says it's faith that's working out. I mean it's it's progressing, it's growing, I mean it's channeling its way through. I mean, it began this transformation in you. Faith in Christ has begun this transformation that's that's starting to affect your perspective on other people and of sin in your life and how it affects other people. And it's causing you to love people differently, to be patient with people differently, to want to pursue people that are different than you so that they can know the faith and the, the hope that you have found in Christ, that they can find salvation, faith working out, kind of fleshing out in your life, progressing in your life through love. So what's the evidence of authentic? What can I have? How can I have confidence in my relationship with Christ. Where does my confidence lie? Well, it lies in faith in Jesus working out through love. Simply put, let's put all of 1 John together and let's just summarize it in this simple reality. True faith in a post truth world that says truth doesn't matter. Well, it does matter, and we all know that. True faith in a post truth world. How, how do we really have truth? How can we know that we know that we, how can we have confidence? It's faith. In Christ. Evidenced by the fact that it's working out through our love for the body of Christ, for love for our family, for our love for our friends, for our love for those who are not our friends, for our love for those people who are unlovable, for those love for those people that are very difficult person, those people we don't want to spend a lot of time, but we have a compassion and we have a love for them that is clearly God given. And it is evidencing the fact that this is not coming from me and for that person if you have that love if you've sensed that then then stop doubting and stop beating yourself stop letting your heart condemn you but I mean, if you know that true faith is being worked out in love and you're growing and you're progressing in your relationship with christ then rest in that rest in that truth have confidence in the presence of god in prayer in your life have confidence in the fact that you're progressing you're growing in maturity and continue to love in supernatural ways. Because in that, God is glorified. The challenge for us is that we believe these things. It's, it's not that we do them. It's not that we feel them. It's that we believe them. And so, as John Stott said, it is the mind's knowledge by which the heart's doubts may be silenced. Lord, I do pray that you would give us confidence Lord, there is no reason why any of us should continue another moment of this day in doubts when you have given us abundant truth to bring clarity to whether we know you or do not know you. And Father, make it clear you have told us, Father, that our faith should be working out through love. You have told us that you have given us your spirit to give us confidence. And so, Father, help us to... Not pause the conviction of your Holy Spirit, not to run like Adam and Eve in the garden from our Father and try to numb our doubts by other distractions, by false coverings. But, Father, help us to run to the Father for full revelation, that we would run to the Father of light, that we could be truly known and that we could truly know you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.